Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I've got a topic episode for you. Today's topic is Easy Run Simplified. So this is an episode that's going to go with a bunch of other ones that I've done, and they are intended to help you maybe take a step back and say, okay, how am I structuring my training and why am I doing the things I'm doing and better understand that? Or if you're new to the sport and you're looking to really just get started on the right foot with a solid understanding of the basics, this will help you kind of do that. From there, you can get much more creative. You can get way more built out in how you're structuring things and what you're doing. But this, I think, is a great way to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And maybe fine tune some things, eliminate some stuff that are perhaps not useful or a little bit off base. And like I said, if you're new, kind of get started on the right foot. So the other episodes that go along with this one include episode 344, Endurance Training Simplified, episode 337, The Long Run, Considering the Variables, episode 346, Short Interval Simplified, episode 348, Long Interval Simplified, and this is kind of an optional one at the at the moment. It's probably a little more specific if you're doing a longer race that's going to actually have aid stations that carry consequence, but it's episode 352, proper aid station navigation. Before we get rolling with Easy Run Simplified, though, I just want to let you know about a raffle. So one thing I'm trying to do is incentivize you all to share the episodes you like. So if you find an episode you really like and you share it on social media, I want to enter you in a raffle to get a free consultation with me. So if you want to be entered into that raffle for the free consultation, then all you got to do is when you find an episode you like, share it on whatever social media platform that you are most active on and tag me. So Instagram at Zach Bitter, Twitter at ZBitter, Facebook at ZBitter Endurance are kind of the main ones. And if you tag me on another platform that I didn't just list there, if you want to screenshot it, send an email to hplpodcast at gmail.com with that. I'll enter you the raffle that way as well. And it's just a great way to help me grow the show and let your friends and family know which episodes that you enjoy. Other than that, if you're interested in coaching, I got details for that on my website at zachbitter.com. I've got pre-made plans, consultations that you can sign up for if you want to chat about something or one-on-one -on -one coaching services, if that is what you're looking for as well. Also, group run. I actually host a group run in Austin and we meet Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. actually now. So we've always kind of had the 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. start, but it sort of has shift from one to the other as that kind of the primary in the winter months, 9 a.m. tends to be a little more populated now that it's been heating up in Austin. I think people are starting to shift to the 8 a.m. Going forward in July, I'll actually be at both of them. So if you are in Austin, visiting Austin, want to meet up, share some miles, or just hang out for a little bit, we meet at Mets Park. Weekly details for that can be found on the Instagram page, which is just at outliersatx. One final announcement before we get rolling, just a quick shout out to the show sponsors this year. Those include Element T Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. Element T Electrolytes is currently running a promotion where you can try out all their flavors in a sample pack for free with your first purchase. Right now is a great time to try that out too because they have their limited edition grapefruit flavor on their catalog at the moment. If you do that and you get that free sample pack, You'll also get citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, like I mentioned, raspberry, chocolate, mango, chili, raw, unflavored. 
all you got to do to access that is use the show show URL, which is going to be in the show notes. But for those of you listeners, it's going to be drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to get you that free sample pack option. What you get with their electrolytes is each little convenient packet comes with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. For me, that means about one of those packets in about two liters of fluid. I'll usually have a little bit of chocolate with my coffee in the morning, and then I'll have that ratio built into my hydration if I'm heading out for a longer session in the morning, especially if it is hot. Also supporting the show this year is Delta G Ketones. This year, I added a new product to my training and racing routine. The latest research on exogenous ketones motivated me to consider trying them out. I've been using Delta G formulation mainly because all the research showing promising benefits and recovering performance have been done using their formula. So when it came to deciding which exogenous ketone do I want to try playing around with during the year, Delta G stood out. I was really fortunate that on their website at deltagketones.com, you can actually sign up for a free consultation and they will actually look at what you're doing and help you decide whether it's a good idea or not to introduce some exogenous ketones into your training or your lifestyle and specifically how to do it. So for example, for me, what this means is if I'm doing a big workout or a key workout, I'll just take one bottle of Delta G ketones performance and head out for the workout. If I'm doing something longer, like a race, like a hundred mile race, I'll take one of those before and then about every three hours afterwards. So they kick in in about 15 minutes or so. And that's when you can start to see that concentration in your blood show up. So usually if it's before something, I'll try to take it around that amount of time before the start of it. One of the reasons, like I said, Delta G stuck out to me is they actually are the ketone ester that received the DARPA grant in effort to design the formula for special forces. Since then, Delta G has produced 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. These studies include two very recent ones that explored exogenous ketone relationship with increasing natural levels of EPO, as well as increasing circulating dopamine concentration, improving mental alertness, and improving post-exercise inflammation in endurance athletes. So check out Delta G's research and their product line at deltagketones.com. Like I said, there you can also sign up for a free consultation to dive into the research usage and whether it is beneficial for you. So this one is going to sort of round out a series of topics that I've been doing over the last couple of months, which it just kind of highlights training and some of the ways I like to simplify endurance training for people who are either new to the sport or have been doing it for a while, but just haven't really ever delved into much structure, or maybe you have, but you just haven't really asked yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Because I think one thing I oftentimes see with endurance training is People are doing a lot of good work, but they're not necessarily like backing up and simplifying it to the degree that they actually know what they're doing. So I think some of these episodes can help you do that. And whether you actually follow the framework that I show in this very simplified manner is one thing. The other thing is just, you know, from there, maybe you've already done these things you have, you've sort of stepped past it to something new but you'll be more able to kind of appropriately get more creative, I guess, with your workouts is what I'm trying to say, because I don't necessarily see anything wrong with deviating from the simplicity that I'm sharing with these episodes. I just think it's good to anchor your understanding in it. And then from that understanding, then start building out from there. So that is kind of what my goal has been with those. Uh, for 
previous episodes, I have a few here that I'll just share with you if you're interested, if this is your first one to this. One of them is episode 344, and it's just titled Endurance Training Simplified. So that's maybe a good one to start if you haven't listened to any of these yet, because that one sort of just like outlines the whole thing in in a, in a single episode to some degree. But then I do add much more context for each component I talk about in that episode with uh, episode 337, which is just the long run considering the variables, episode 346, short intervals simplified. And then episode 348, long intervals simplified. And from there, I guess you could technically add another episode if you're looking into more race day type stuff, which is um, episode 352, proper aid station navigation. So if you're doing an event that requires you to actually support yourself with things like hydration and nutrition and things like that, uh, you know, navigating those aid stations can be a pivotal piece to the the, you know, the process that you're trying to put together. So doing that properly and not going in there with a bunch of questions or uh, improving it, so to speak, uh, which, you know, to some degree you, you can and may need to do that. But I think having a general scaffolding in place is usually a good idea. That episode will, will talk about that. I am likely to maybe add one more to this particular kind of series of episode types and just do like race day intensity simplified because it is worth noting that if your race matches one of the intensities that I spoke about, whether that might be the short intervals, the long intervals, maybe the long run, if you're doing an ultra marathon, uh, or the topic that I'm going to discuss today, if you're doing um, an ultra marathon as well, which is going to be the easy pace, uh, or easy category of running, then uh you know, it may be good to kind of know, like, how do I navigate that? So if you have a situation where race intensity is actually independent of any of those other intensities that I spoke about, you do want to get around to actually probably practicing that. So for those of you who are in that situation, it may be good to have at least an overview of just how to maybe program that sort of thing into your training and what type of uh, process goes along with that. All right. That's the little bit of the preview there. Let's get into easy run simplified. So if you've listened to the previous episodes, I usually like to review one thing. Whereas like, if I really want to simplify things, you can kind of look at things into three main categories, easy, moderate, and hard. Now that's what I would consider almost overly simplified to the degree where when you start actually getting into the training, you're going to recognize that there is a pretty wide range within each one of those. So proper training load and programming is likely going to want to break those three categories down into further categories to some degree. And it's going to depend a bit on the person and the event they're training for and all the intensities uh, that that I spoke about with potentially for race day and things like that. But generally speaking, you're going to probably want to break those into more categories than just those three. And a lot of times when people arrive at like zones in their training, they're doing that. You have like a zone one, two, three, four, five, and then sometimes they'll even go 5A, 5B, 5C and, and break that down even further. So it's sort of the same idea as that. But for today, the easy run simplified, I like to just break this category down into two different compartments. One is what I actually call the easy run in my programming. I will pin it to a two to three out of 10 perceived effort on my uh, perceived effort scale. 
And then there is the bass drum, which is basically just the, the higher, faster half of that easy category. So it still falls within that category, but it's just the top end of it is the easy way to think about that. So when we're talking about that, before we even disentangle the easy versus base that I have, it's good to kind of know where the lines are to be within that category. And then we can further impact from there. So base is being, being the high end of that easy category. I put that at the aerobic threshold as the crossover point. So as you go from, let's say a walk and gradually start increasing your pace until you get to where your aerobic threshold would arrive, that would mean you cross the full spectrum of easy. And then once you cross that aerobic threshold, you've crossed over into the moderate category. So anytime I'm prescribing something in the easy category, I want to make sure that myself or the person I'm working with is staying underneath that aerobic threshold, not crossing over and introducing moderate intensity work for that particular workout. There's nothing inherently wrong with moderate intensity. It's just if the goal of the workout is to stay in that easy category, we don't want to introduce that intensity necessarily for that particular goal or workout itself. So this next step becomes, how do you know where that is for you? And this is where I think it gets a little more complicated for people, but there are some good tools that you can use. Some that are like ones you could just try today if you wanted to, and others where it would, it can require a little bit more work or effort in, on your part. So generally speaking, you could go into a lab and get tested and they would be able to tell you, this is the heart rate in which you cross over in your cross over your aerobic threshold. This is the heart rate where you cross over your lactate threshold. This is the heart rate where you cross your VO2 max or where your VO2 max is at. And you start kind of getting these intensity points a little more developed to your uh, specifics, at least if you're going to use heart rate as the guide there. What I ultimately like to do is even if someone does have that data, I encourage them to start start pairing that with perceived effort. Because my ultimate goal is that you are just very familiar with knowing what the intensity feels like. So like if I said, go out for an easy run, you just know what that feels like. If I said, go out for a base run, you know what that feels like. If I say, we're doing long intervals today, you know what that feels like. If I say, you're going to do short intervals today, you know what that feels like, and so on and so forth. So that just takes practice to some degree. But once you kind of get that really pinned down, it is such a great skill to have when you're out there training. And you'll surprise yourself if you haven't done this before. But one thing I like to do sometimes if we do have accurate heart rate data, is we start using that as a guide. Eventually, you just get so tuned in to what that effort feels like at those various ranges that we would likely be targeting, that you could go out for the run and just say, okay, this is the intensity I'm targeting hit that intensity. If we look back at the data post run, it matches up. I will note that in terms of heart rate data specifically, it is much less reliable to use live when you're doing faster running activities. So for example, if I send someone out for a short interval session, that's between two to four minutes. I do not want them staring at their heart rate monitor for that type of a workout because chances are we're not going to get the accurate live feedback on that, that would actually reflect what we're trying to do from an intensity standpoint. Now counter that, if I send someone out for an easy run or a base run, that we will probably get, we could get relatively accurate data in a lot of cases with that. 
assuming we know where their heart rate ranges actually are, that's just a slow enough intensity. And it's not going to be a big issue if it takes a few minutes for everything to kind of catch up when we're out there versus the short intervals where you start that thing and you look down at your heart rate and it looks low. So you throttle down and you actually like overshoot the intensity you're targeting, trying to drive that heart rate up. It gets a little too messy in that situation. So I don't necessarily encourage people to use that as a live feedback tool, even when they're trying to pair up their, um, their intensities for the higher stuff. So if you want to go back and learn more about that, I would just say go to those specific episodes because I do share some time trials that are going to help you better understand the perceived effort for those different categories that would be less likely to be accurate with, with something like heart rate. So back to easy run and base run. We've got the easy category in general. I like to divide it up into two easy run, base run, base run crosses over into the next intensity. When you get past your aerobic threshold, aerobic threshold, like I mentioned, you can go in a lab and get that looked at and, and try to determine like exactly where those things are. A lot of people aren't going to do that. I understand that. So let's go into the next step, which is like, how can you get an idea of at least where to start and then fine tune on your own without that lab test? So there's some great ways to do this. Uh, one is just simply paying attention to your body, believe it or not. And this kind of also leads back towards perceived effort. So uh, a test you could do is when you're out there running, you're running at a nice, easy pace, just gauge whether you'd be able to carry a conversation with someone at that pace. If the answer is yes, then you can try speeding up a little bit. And if you can continue to do that, it's a very good chance that you have not crossed over your aerobic threshold and into a moderate intensity. If you get to a point where you've sped up enough and now it's you're struggling to get complete sentences out and carry a conversation, you've probably crossed over to the degree where you might want to pull that back a little bit and just make sure you're actually in the target zone you're trying to hit with that. It is one of those things where like when you're carrying the conversation, it doesn't have to sound like you're sitting at a desk carrying a conversation in a calm, quiet manner. It can sound like you're breathing and moving, but it shouldn't be a problem to be able to get that those phrases out. It's when people are like gasping for breath after a few words or even like a short sentence. And it's clear that they're going too fast to be able to speak coherently is where I really start to worry that they've certainly introduced a more moderate intensity pace to that effort. So we want to pull them back. And I say that because uh, technically you could go slower than necessary if you're targeting the higher end of easy and still carry those conversations. So it can be useful to sort of walk it up a little bit and kind of retest a little bit. Ultimately, this ends up getting much easier after you've just done a few tests like this and you kind of fine tune, fine tune it to the degree where now you just kind of know what that feels like, like what I said before. Uh, another thing you can try to do too, and this one is maybe a little more dependent on uh, your current state. So you want to make sure you don't have like a cold or a stuffy nose of any kind. But if you're able to essentially breathe in your nose and out your mouth at this intensity, chances are you haven't crossed over into a moderate intensity. So that's another thing you can do is you can go out, start your easy run. If you feel like, hey, I think I might be going a little too fast or I'm getting close just give yourself a couple of minutes to breathe in your nose and out your mouth and just gauge how sustainable that is. If that feels like wildly unsustainable, or if it is, if you are like, you, you have to stop or slow down or discontinue right away, like that's a good sign. You're probably demanding more oxygen than you're able to uh, actually get, which would suggest you've crossed over into a more moderate intensity at that point. 
Another thing too, and this is sometimes what I'll do with a lot of my coaching clients to myself is we'll do a field test fairly early on in their training. And it's basically just a lactate threshold field test. And I talk a little bit more about that on the long, long interval simplified episode 348, if you're curious, but we can take that data and use it to some degree, at least to start and give us a starting point for, for base stuff. So the heart rate average we get from that lactate threshold field test is uh, going to be about 20 to 30 beats per minute lower. So for those curious, uh, where I'm basing lactate threshold or how I'm using that term in my training is I'm pinning that essentially to the intensity at which you could race for 60 minutes. So if you were to go to a race day setting, you have the crowd, the people running there, the energy, the adrenaline, you know, the, the, the taper, whatever you want to call it, just like that ideal rate, that ideal fast running environment, what you could say for 60 minutes is what I'm pinning that to. And if you have that data, because some people will have that data too. I've worked with a couple of coaching clients recently where they had done a race and that race was like roughly 60 minutes, you know, 55, 65 minutes, somewhere in that kind of general framework. We just took the data from that and we used that as a good gauge. And then if they wanted to know their base pace, we just took 20 to 30 beats per minute off of that and started from there. Now, granted, again, like I said, heart rate can be something where you want to spot check that with other things. So once we start getting going, if we're going to use that heart rate as a guide, I'm also asking them to do those, those tests where they're trying the conversation talk test, or they're trying that breathe in your nose, out your mouth. And just so we're confirming, do these things match up? If they match up, then we have kind of two data points that would suggest we're heading in the right direction. If not, we can always uh, adjust accordingly and make sure that we're heading in the right direction. So from there, what we want to do is we want to assess what, uh, what the progress is for it. So if someone is, say, targeting base runs, so let's say we're early on in training, we're trying to lay a foundation that is going to be something that we can build our future training off of or our more specific training off of, so like speed workouts and things like that. What I like to see is if you're staying in that zone, that base zone below your aerobic threshold, but pretty close to it, we should see, assuming weather and environment hasn't changed in a drastic manner, we should start to see your pace improve at that intensity over time, assuming we're giving you enough stimulus or essentially in this case, volume of it. So if I send someone out for, let's say seven hours of running per week, and five of those hours are done at that base intensity, and that is a new stimulus to them, then we should see their pace begin to improve at that, meaning pace is the moving target, intensity stays the same. So they feel the same after doing that for a while, but their pace is actually reflecting quicker, which is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, one other thing I'll share with that is like, generally speaking, I will also pin that base intensity or the high end of the easy category to around 70 to 80% of someone's max heart rate. If you happen to have that data, max heart rates can be a little more challenging by definition. I mean, it's max. It means it required you to do a pretty intense effort to get that. And then just because of that, you may have a higher likelihood of not actually capturing that data accurately. If you are going to do like a max heart rate field test, I would suggest a hill because it's just going to be more likely for you to get your heart rate up high 
in a timely enough manner. And it's going to lower the risk of that hard of an effort where the problem I see with max heart rate tests a lot of times is not only are they difficult, but if we're looking for data early in a training plan, if you throw a workout like that at someone, there is a risk reward there of potentially having an injury or something like that. When you're asking for say like a max heart rate test on a, on a flat loop or something like that. So there's some decent, I think, max heart rate protocols that require you to run for about two minutes up a relative, like an incline doesn't have to be like a super steep hill. In fact, it shouldn't be so steep that you can't run up it, uh, but it should be steep enough where it's pretty easy to get your heart rate going up. And that two minute ascent followed by a nice, easy run down, followed by another two minute hard ascent, another easy down and the third hard ascent, two minutes capturing that heart rate at the end of that third one can be a fairly good indication of where your max heart rate is and start giving you some ballpark figures to play around with if you want to go that route. But again, I think there's probably better ways to go about it. So unless you're just really into like super hard hill <laughs> intervals, maybe uh, save that one for uh, for particular situations. Um, for the easy part, the lower half, what I usually suggest for people is this is going to be a much more valuable workout to employ when you are in a situation where maybe you did something more difficult the day before. You don't need a complete rest day, or in fact, you might actually want some active recovery, but you don't want to introduce a stress that's going to be enough that it actually like slows down recovery. Running nice and easy for a relatively short period of time can actually be uh, productive in terms of recovery, especially if the person is able to tolerate the volume. So a lot of times these runs I'll use in between harder workouts after longer runs that carry a bigger training load, uh, or simply during even base building at the end of the day, if you start to really develop along the higher end of the easy category, you may have a little more wiggle room for some additional training, but not necessarily for another say hour or two hours at that higher end of the easy category, in which case I would, uh, add that into the into that weekly training volume as well. But essentially what it is, is it's, it's just slower yet one step slower yet than the top end of this easy category. I'm usually going to put that at roughly 60 to 70% of someone's max heart rate or, um, roughly just, you know, under that, that aerobic threshold heart rate range that we talked about before. So if you're using that 20 to 30 beats per minute below lactate threshold, or if you're using that, whatever you determine by using the talk test or the breathing test, you just want to bring that down from there. Uh, a good 10, 15 beats per minute is usually a good starting point. And then from there you can adjust. But in reality, these easy runs, if the goal is recovery, they can be as easy as you need them to be. So I tend to tell my coaching clients and myself actually, like, don't worry about pace on these. In fact, look for that sensation where it feels very, very relaxed. Like you could just do this indefinitely almost if you needed to. And sometimes that means walking breaks. Uh, sometimes it means just a walk or a hike instead of a run. So you want to really respect this workout for what it is in a lot of cases, which is actually recovering from the key stimuluses that you're using to drive your performance better over the course of time so that you're not pulling future training off the table by overreaching during these, these really easy days. All right. So that's what I have for easy run simplified. Hopefully that was simple enough and not easy run complicated. Uh, but in reality, I think I'm just like with these episodes, 
there is, I think, a fair amount of uh, detail and commentary around them, even though they are titled simplified. But I think they couch it in a way where people start to at least understand what the idea is with these and begin to be able to collect different reference points in terms of what they're actually doing and what they're trying or intending to do. And then from there, you can get, as I said earlier in the episode, a lot more creative with how you kind of put together your coaching plans if you want to do that. But send me any questions you have about this. If I missed anything, or if you'd like me to add any more to this kind of series of episodes, happy to do it. If you do want to do that, you can reach out to me on my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at Z Bitter on Twitter. My website is zachbitter.com where you can reach out to me on a form there or just email me at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode sponsors include Element T electrolytes and Delta G ketone esters. Element T electrolytes can be found at drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and are offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. And Delta G ketones can be found at deltagketones.com. Also, give them a follow at deltag.ketones on Instagram. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to a hundred miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athletes guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance-related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.